You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. And we're in a series called Identity. And what I want to do this morning is begin with a, a few cultural reminders as to why this series is so important to us, why it's so important to our families. I mean, if you look around our community, our culture, especially in the last 10 years, you, you see this degradation that's going on that, that, that happens in family, that happens in community, uh, that, that happens in government. And we want to pay attention to these kinds of things. And this is why, this is why this subject matter is so important to us. Listen, the culture that we're in is not laid back when it comes to identity. Uh, they're very aggressive. And I think when we talk about being aggressive in the subject matter of identity, the church should be just as aggressive, if not more. And, and that's because we have the weapons of our warfare. Uh, they're not carnal, but they're mighty and tearing down strongholds. And so we come to this subject knowing that there is a spiritual battle at hand over identity. God's word has a lot to say when it comes to your identity. Primarily, the, the, the subject that we've been looking at, the, the phrase that we've been repeating over and over again, is that God has created you in his image. The Imago Dei. You have been created in the image of God. And the pivot scripture that we use, the place that we go to look at this, to talk about it, is Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And you don't have to look very far. You really don't. In our culture, to be reminded that God's word, his truth, is constantly being contested. It's constantly being attacked. So let me give you a few examples there that are out there today that many of you have recognized, you've seen. But I think it's worth being uh, mentioned today. It's something we need to know that's staring us in the face. I don't know if you're aware of this. Most of you probably are. There have been laws passed in a multitude of cities in the nation that prohibit anyone from discriminating against a biological male that identifies as a female from using the women's bathrooms. Just right there. Just right there will get your attention. For me, when I hear about these kinds of laws, I'm thinking this is craziness. What's happening in our community? We've lost our moral compass. When we get away from God's word, humankind just doesn't think well. When we get away from God's direction, we're left on our own and we are broken people. And you know what broken, sinful people do? They pass laws like this. Now, I'm not, I'm not for discrimination. Get me here. I'm not, I'm not talking, but we, we should stand up when we see that someone is uh, being treated negatively or, or poorly or torn down. But when we're talking about this, then this is something totally different. What we're talking about is something that makes absolute no sense. I mean, absolute nonsense, and it makes a husband, listen, it makes a husband, a father, a grandfather, who has a wife, a daughter, and five granddaughters pretty upset. I mean, you want to talk about the protector coming out when we talk about this kind of thing? I want my daughters, I want our women to grow up experiencing worth and value and dignity this does not accomplish that our women need to be dignified our girls need to be dignified you know my instinct to protect goes through the roof when we talk about something like this 
Now, if there's anyone struggling with these issues of identity, then we want to help. We want to walk with people. We have places that can happen. It's not like we're saying don't do this and not helping. We do help community in this church and from this church. Please know that. There is a love. There is an extension that goes into our community. This, to me, what we've talked about in these laws, these are not gray areas in our society. This is just crazy wrong. You know, a person like that doesn't get to go in the bathroom with my girls. That's just the way it is. It's like we've lost something out of the box here. I mean, something has opened up, it is driving our society, and we've lost our minds. And it's making us behave in a way that goes contrary to everything that's reasonable, right, and godly. You see, our culture is confused, but God's people do not have to be confused. I want to say that to you today, now that you have no reason to be confused when you open up the Word of God. The Word of God is very clear. The, the Word of God is full of wisdom. It's full of direction for us. And, and listen, for any of your loved ones that are dealing or struggling with their identity, then we pray for you and we pray for us all the time. We're praying over our grandkids. We're praying over our, our cousins, our nephews, our nieces, our children. We're praying for them, especially when it comes to their identity. So this is why we started the series. We started the series Identity. Who do you say that I am? That's Jesus asking us a pointed question that all of us, one time or another, will have to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? God created us in his image, in the imago Dei as male and female, equal in dignity, in value, and in worth, and being made in the image of God elevates us above all of the other created ordered beings. We are above. We are elevated in the creative order of God. And because we're created in God's image, we deeply and desperately need and want companionship. This is something that we've been hardwired to desire, something we've been hardwired to want. And that's why today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, not only today, but for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the subject of marriage. Marriage in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this. When it comes to marriage, I know that we're all over the map in this room. I'm, I'm, aware of, I'm aware of everyone's presence in this room. I'm aware that there are probably some single folks in here going, oh, great, this guy's going to talk about marriage. I, I, don't want any, I don't want to talk about marriage. Listen, I'm hoping and praying that this message and the messages to follow would encourage you uh, because they're from God's word. You can take a hold of them. There's truth involved. I also know that, that there are people in this room that have recently lost their, their spouse, and there's pain when we talk about marriage, but I'm asking and praying for you as well, that God would encourage you, that God would bless you. And then there are some of us, some of us that we've been married and we're flourishing and we love each other and we've been married one month and everything is bliss. It's beautiful. I love marriage. I love it. I love it. But then we have others who've been married a long time. And those that have been married a long time, you've gone through all the peaks and the valleys, and you're more committed today. You love each other more today than you did yesterday. 
So in this room, some of us are single, some of us are flourishing, some of us are floundering in our marriages. My hope is that everyone, everyone that hears the word of God would be encouraged because the word of God never returns void. That whenever we open God's word, whenever we talk about God, whenever we talk about his word and application to our life, it always has this amazing effect on our spirit. We are transformed in the name of Jesus. That by looking at marriage through a biblical lens, you will see God do some amazing things. Amazing things in your marriage today as well. And that's what we contend for. This church is full of hundreds of healthy marriages. I I love it. I really do. Uh, There are people in this church that Annette and I go to. There are people in this church that pray for us. We love it. And we, we we have marriage classes. There's one going on right now. And that you can attend. It's open, by the way. It's open for you to go to. It's a devotional style uh, marriage class. I don't even want to call it a class. More of a conversation, a gathering, a fellowship. It's intended to strengthen our marriages. So we want to continue to point you in the direction that encourages you and especially encourages your marriage. So we see that. We're, we're thankful. I am blessed that I'm in a church community that love Jesus and commits their lives to Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this just for a few minutes this morning where it all began in Genesis chapter 2. What we see here is marriage as a covenant. You see, God created marriage not as a contract, uh, not as you being a consumer, but he's created marriage as a covenant. And when you look at it in the Bible, if you go according to the order that it's listed, marriage is the first covenant God has with us. Isn't that amazing? Because there are covenants that follow this. But this is the very first. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 25. Follow with me and this is what it says. It says the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of a man he was taken out of. She was taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, or in the Hebrew, womin. Womin, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt absolutely no shame. 
Now, man, I want you to look at something with me because you're the first that's addressed in this passage. And by the way, it's something we talked about in our last men's gathering. When we got together and we talked about, and you were there, if you were there, you remember, a call to biblical manhood. This is the passage that we went to because this is the original template of what it looks like to be a man that follows God. And when we look at this, verse 15 gives us instruction, and the instruction that was given to Adam still stands today. And there are a few things that you want to notice as a man here. God designed us to flourish when we do three things. We work, we cultivate, and we provide. When we work, when we cultivate, and we provide. We t- and that doesn't mean women can't have part of this, but this is something that f- causes a man to understand his purpose. We talked about this, again, at our last men's gathering. And these activities really play out in three places. And I want you to hear this, guys, because I think this is so critical for us to understand this, to get a hold of this, because when we understand and get a hold of this, our community flourishes. Our families flourish when we get a hold of this. So where do these three things play out, these activities? Well, in our home, first of all, Uh, that in our home, we, we work, we cultivate, we provide. Where else? In our church. This is a community that we're part of, and this is where we want this to play out. And the other place it plays out is in community. It it plays out there. Now, men, this is how you can maintain a healthy balance in your life. Now, this is what I mean by that. Uh, In order for me not to get real selfish, you know, and just live for me and live for my toys and live for my house and live for my cars and live for my job and for me to just live to go on vacation and retire comfortably someday will not ever satisfy you. It will not. Satisfaction comes when you follow the order that God has given you. And so when I look at this, I recognize for me to be healthy and balanced, I have to give my resources and my gifting to my home to my church, and to my community. Guys, there's three areas there. If one is lacking, you're probably going to be on the spiritually anemic side of things. But when you look at it and say, okay, I want to take on these three things, these are three things that I can contribute to. These are three things that I can be part of. Now, let me say this, men. I know you're busy. I'm busy. I have a few jobs. Really, literally have a few jobs. And what I do is I try to keep a balance in this. And when we talk, let's say, especially about church and community, hear this with me. What I was able to do as I grew a family, as I raised a family, my involvement in church and community coincided with the growth and development of my children. Nothing wrong with that. So when my boys were growing up, I was involved in coaching sports. As my girl, my daughter grew up, I was at every recital, every dance thing that you could imagine. Folks, I've got a resume. I have a resume of recitals, three-hour recitals, (laughs) where I'd look to Annette and say, is this just intermission? And she said, yep. (laughs) Think, oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Strap in. Strap in. And so I, that's, that's my commitment. So I'm just giving you a little, that's a little bonus. That you can say, okay, how do I do all this? Look and see what fits in the rhythms of your family. And when you do that, I think there's a blessing that comes. So let's do this. I want to chat just for a moment because I know church baggage. I know the baggage that we carry. And especially when it came to verse 18, there are probably a few women that I lost. 
a few women that said, hey, wait a minute, I'm not a helper. I mean, that sounds like a derogatory term. That sounds like a diminishing of, uh, of a role. I want to tell you something, according to Scripture, and when you look at this original language, it's anything but. It's anything but. I want you to hear this. You have to hear this. You can't just be thinking, well, what's a helper? What, what do they do? Well, the word helper in the Hebrew is the same word applied to God regularly throughout the Old Testament. Did you know this word in the Hebrew is used the first two times about a woman and the next 19 times it's referring to the character of God and you'll never guess in what context. It's referred to the character of God as God as a warrior. Someone who goes into battle. This word helper literally means one who comes alongside to create strength to bring victory. Woo! That's big time. That, 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 that just blows things right out of the water. And here's why that's so important. In our marriages, we need to be joined together and in, in battle especially. Isn't it a battle? A lot of what you face is a battle. And that what it's saying here is that when a man and a woman come together and they see the battlefield, they fight together. Did you know that? I'm going to show you what it looks like. Here we go. I want you to have an illustration you will never forget. And so I'm going to do this. Here is the battle right here. This is what it looks like in Scripture. Turn this way. This is what it looks like in Scripture right here. Do you know why it looks like this in Scripture? Okay, you know why? Because a man can only see 180 degrees. And if you're on a battlefield and you can't see 360, you are dead. So what do you have? You have a warrior back to back with you that sees another 80, 180. And between the two of you, what do you see? 360. Where one put, comes together, they put 1,000 to flight. Where two come together to battle, they put 10,000 to flight. Do you see the warrior attitude of this? She's a warrior. The helper comes along. That's, that's what this is talking about. I don't know if you've ever heard it like this. Please get this image. I'm standing up here for photo ops right now. So please, <laughs> please get this down. I do not want this to leave your mind. Husbands and wives, you have to see this. It looks like this right here. So do not use this to plunk her. Do not use women that to plunk him. These are weapons used to fight for your family, for your community, for salvation. Thanks, Annette. Here we go. By the way, the closest description that we have in the New Testament of what we have in the Old Testament is the work of the Holy Spirit. Actually, the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is one who comes alongside, one who comes and brings counsel, one who comes and brings strength. Women, don't get any ideas. You are not the Holy Spirit. Please understand that. But you do operate similar to. I don't want anybody to think, you know, they take the place of God on this. Okay? So we'll keep the playing field even here. We want to make sure that we understand this about our role and our relationship with each other, that we are to battle together. This is what God wants. This is what, what we see. So hear this. Please hear this. <laughs> the word helper is not putting a woman at second class. 
God doesn't want Eve or you looking to make Adam a sandwich all the time or wash his tunic. That's not what this is about. This is about standing strong. This is about standing strong together. And when we do, great things happen in life and community. You know, this is a stunning narrative. I mean, when you read this, this narrative of creation, and especially chapter 2, it's a stunning narrative in the creation account because everything to this point has been good or very good. Have you noticed that? Everything that God has created has been good or very good. And then God looks at man. He looks at man and he says, yeah, this ain't so good. That's what he says. He says, this is not good for man to live alone or to be alone. Now, listen, God did not consult with Adam on this. Think about it. He didn't go to Adam and say, okay, Adam, what's your emotional state right now? I mean, would you unpack how you're feeling with me? This is a sovereign God who sees what's going on in Adam's life. He is the one that has perspective through eternity, and he says, whoa, this is not good. It wasn't Adam begging for something. It wasn't Adam recognizing an emotional need that he had. It was something that God saw, that God recognized, and that God put together. God looks at this, and he says, I, I got I to do something about this. I've, I've got to change the way this is all going. And, and so this is based on, listen, this is based on God's decision, his plans, his future, his sovereignty, his glory. He saw that when two would come together, the magnification of his glory and his sovereignty in creation would exponentially blow the top off. That's what God's doing. He's looking at this. Now, if you ever looked at and if you read through the book of Genesis, you might recognize that there's a, oftentimes a, a poetic syncopation to it. And, and that's true. If you're reading this in the Hebrew, you, you have something poetic happening here in chapter 2. What you're going to notice, you're going to notice something that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. That everything that's happening here is combat, compatible with something else. Did you know that? The sky is not full unless it has birds in it and stars and sun. The sea is, is not complete unless it has fish and swimming creatures. The land is not complete until the animals are around the land. It's, it all has some compatible component to it. Comes to man, no compatible component. It's, it's interesting how this all works. It says, you're alone, but then he says, now name the animals. And he's probably going, you know, I'm, I'm just, hey, let me think for just a minute, okay, out loud. Not like me, not like me, not like me, not like me. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. Oh, like me, you have thumbs. <laughs> and you have some upgrades. <laughs> wow. You are like me. God understood. God said, this is, this, is, this is the intention. It's interesting to me that it says, and I've always used this as a, a counseling tool. It, it says here that it is not good for man to live alone. Now, I'm sure it's not good for women to live alone either. But it's interesting God points out the man. Because there's something hardwired in a man. He just doesn't do very good by himself. Typically gets in a lot of trouble. And God says, you know, we can't let this happen. 
we got to make sure that we take care of this. So I'm going to bring to you a woman, a warrior, that is going to help you fulfill my will and my purposes on this planet. Amen. Listen, you and I, according to the creation narrative here, have been designed by God for deep, intimate relationship, companionship. And this text deals with marriage and really the foundation of discipleship. That's what you see here. It's discipleship and relational health when you read this passage. The family, <clears throat> the family unit isn't the, excuse me, the family unit is the seed by which humankind grows into something beautiful. That's, that's what God is saying here. You destroy the family. You destroy the beauty of humanity. You bring great harm to the Imago Dei. When the family is degraded, when the family is minimized, Marriage is not defined by human laws. Would you hear this? Marriage is not defined by human laws. Marriage is defined by God and what God says marriage is. And what God says marriage is, is here in Genesis chapter 2. Do you understand that? It's not a Supreme Court ruling. It's not any of those other things that are the laws of our land. I respect the laws of our land. But God is the one who invented this. God is the one who's given us the template for marriage. Now, I want to do something. I want to take a moment this morning with all of you in this room. And with those that are online, of course. I I want to share with you my heart and, and, and some of my thoughts concerning the state of wedding ceremonies, which is what initiates the marriage. And really speaks to the marriage. And what I'm about to say is directed more toward the Christian community and its current attitude about wedding ceremonies. See, you might not be in the middle of that as much as I'm in the middle of that. I'm in this. And I, I don't know. I don't know how many weddings I performed over the last 35 years. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of weddings over the last 35 years. But here's what I've noticed over the last several years. Bottom line is this. We have greatly minimized the sanctity and the sacredness of what it means to be married. And I see it in the wedding ceremonies. When it's almost looked at as a joke where there are more people in the room that have hangovers than who are really attentive and sensitive to the sacred event that's about to take place. I have people call me constantly who are the cousins of the cousins of the cousins that were at a wedding I did for 10 years ago and say, oh, you did such a beautiful wedding. Can you do our wedding? I'm not a steamboat captain. I'm not a justice of the peace. Friends, you need to know up front, I am a pastor of a community that cares deeply for the health and well-being of your marriages and your family. I'm not someone for hire. I am somebody who wants the best for you. I want the best for you all of the time. God says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. If that is not sacred, I do not know what is. And for this reason, I've done something over the last year. I've taken a pause. 
I've taken a pause on my involvement as a pastor who is responsible for solemnizing these unions. And the reason I've taken a pause is to evaluate my own heart, to evaluate the current state that we're in, to evaluate and come up with something that's biblically constructive that I can bring to a wedding ceremony and I can bring to a marriage. Listen, if there are those who who want to abide by God's word and in doing so experience the blessing of a sacred union, I'm all in. I'm all in. But typically, now I'm being real honest with you, typically there have been a number of times when I've made a decision to do a wedding and I never see those people again. They like the guy who could put on a good show. I'm not here for that. And so I've had to repent. I really have. Uh, I've had to repent in the areas have I minimized the sanctity and the sacredness of weddings and of marriages. So I'm all in. If there's a couple that says, I'm going to follow God's laws, I'm going to follow his principles, I'm going to be in community, and I'm going to follow Jesus, you got me. That's what I'm here to do. But if I'm being asked to perform duties of a justice of the peace, no thank you, and I'm going to be honest, you can go to Las Vegas for that. You can't. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying there are other places. That's no disrespect. It's just the truth. Why? Why? Because God has so much more for you than you can imagine. And you're selling out. Don't sell out. Hold to the standard that brings blessing. Hold to the sacredness that brings joy and fulfillment in a marriage relationship. Hold on to that. Fight for that. I want more for you. God wants more for you. And that's why I'm going through what I'm going through. Listen, I'm going to say something that's going to gross my kids out, my grandkids, but I'm going to say it anyways. Ooh, Grandpa, don't talk about that. Annette and I were committed to make sure the sanctity and sacredness of our union would be preserved. We did. And I'm going to tell you where we were. We were in Bible college. We had no supervision, no accountability, no nothing. Now imagine, early 20s. Come on, you can figure it out. We're in our early 20s. We don't, yeah, what are you talking about? I'll help you out. Rick, we'll have a little conversation later, okay? We were in our early 20s. We experienced the strong temptation. And what we did is we made rules for ourselves. We weren't perfect. But we didn't have sex before we got married. What we did is, okay, here's the rules. I cannot stay here after 10 (laughs) o'clock. I can't. I got to go. We cannot be horizontal on a couch or anything else. We cannot do that because this is going to mess up the sacredness of this whole thing. 
You know what else we did? We picked a wedding date. And then we looked at that wedding date because we were in our early 20s. And we said, oh, no, 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 no. We got to move that up. <laughs> oh, we got to move it up. So you know what we did? We moved it up. And then we kept looking at each other and said, oh, no, no, no. We got to move it up some more here. We got to move it up some more. And we moved it up again. And then we moved it up three times. Three times we moved our wedding date up. And I said, we said to each other, we got to do this in order to maintain that sacred blessing of God's spirit in our lives. We did that. My hormones were no different now than yours were at 20 either. So, well, you're a pastor. Oh, come on. I'm a horny pastor is what I was. And I know beauty when I see it. It's like this was not an illusion. This was real. Dang, she is good looking. And so what we did is we made decisions the best we could to make sure we preserve that relationship. Now, I'm not bringing condemnation to anyone where there has been the crossing of the line. Listen, God forgives. We are all, we're sinners in this room. Please hear this. We are. But I think it's appropriate to go back to those places where the sacredness and the sanctity of the relationship was violated and ask for forgiveness to each other. I don't care if you've been married. We've been married over 45 years. I think what happens there is something gets mended. Something happens in your relationship where there is healing. And in that healing, you have a foundation to continue to walk in and on. Listen, the union of a man and a woman should be held in the highest esteem. And I always get asked this question. Ron, do you do weddings for same-sex couples? The answer is no. I have not and I will not. And I want to tell you why. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I love you so much that I know that that is not the way to blessing. I know it. I know it. It's in the word of God, and I'm living it. Do I sit down and talk with people all the time? But you need to know how important this is to society, to community, to the body of Christ. See, we are hardwired by God to be known and to know on the deepest of levels. We have 1,000 Facebook friends, but we aren't known by anybody. We can know everybody without knowing anybody. It's a paradox that has never, ever happened in society. It is just current. It, it's happening, and it's blowing people's minds. It really is. We've never faced anything like this in human history. This is why our marriages must count. This is why our marriages must be substantial and go deeper than ever before. We are modeling something for the next generations. What are we modeling? Especially when it comes to marriage and relationship. <laughs> Last week, Annette and I said, hey, let's go. We, we need to get away. We need to go and have, watch a movie. We, we, need, we need to see a movie together, hang out, go on a date, you know. We, we did. Our granddaughter was over at our house. 
And she goes, Grandpa, can we go? Her and her boyfriend. I never, ever double dated with my grandparents, ever. <laughs> I've never had that experience. And we're sitting there, the four of us. And I'm going, this is surreal. I'm sitting with my 17-year-old granddaughter and her boyfriend, and we're on a double date. Of course, they didn't pay their way, but that's okay. You know, we, we, we paid the freight on that. We did. But I got in the car, and I told Annette, I said, I think that speaks a lot to these kids. The fact that they even want to go with old people, me, old, not her, me. That they, that, they want, that they want to go out with us. That they want to spend time with us. And I thought, there it is. Let's capture this. Folks, let's capture this. Let, let's, let's do it. Let's do it this way. One of the greatest, listen, one of the greatest hindrances in being known and knowing is the projection of false strength. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing fine. Everything's good. Because here's what you've determined in this community society you live in. That when you say that you're hurting or you're weak, you have fear rejection. You're afraid of being rejected. You're afraid of being dismissed. You're afraid of being marginalized. So what do we do? We have this projection of false strength. You become a slave to the false image you've created. The image of strength without vulnerability will always drive you into isolation and loneliness. Hear that. I'm going to say it again. The image of strength without vulnerability will always drive you into isolation and loneliness. Listen, this is one of the greatest tragedies of our day. The very way that we get into deep, intimate relationships is the one thing that we don't allow ourselves to be, and that is vulnerable. Newsflash, you're human. Yeah, it's a newsflash. You're human. You have fears. You have anxieties. You have weaknesses. You're frail. There are all of these things. Why? Because you're human. And then when we get into a place where we can share and there's vulnerability. And so what we do is there's a projection of strength is what you do because it's unacceptable to be weak. And yet it's in our weaknesses, the Bible says, that we'll really be known. Paul says this, in my weakness, what? He will be strong. You know what he's saying? Can, let me rephrase it. In my weakness, his imago day in me will be strong. In my weakness. It's, it's counterintuitive to what we live today. Counterintuitive. Remember what Annette talked about last week on Jacob. I loved it. I loved the part where she said it wasn't about beating Jacob in a wrestling match. It was letting him contend with God, letting him experience the weight to the point that his hip was displaced and that he limped the rest of his life. Can I make something public with you? I don't trust anyone who doesn't have a limp. You know when you were your, <laughs> you know when you were your, an expert on raising kids when you, you had none. You, you know when you were an expert on marriage? Before you got one. You know when you were an expert on It's before you ever experienced it. Yeah. And then it comes along, you go, whoa, my hip's out of joint. And I walk with a limp. And I trust people who walk with limps. 
because I know they've wrestled with God and they've come out deeper here. That's what a marriage works in your life. It's when we come together and we see these things happen and we work through them. And I'm going to finish with this. I want to talk just for a few minutes and wrapping this up. Are you okay with that? I want to talk just for a minute on how marriage tends to be viewed in our society versus how God has designed marriage to work. So I'm doing all this so you understand now why I need to do a second part of marriage because there's a lot here. By and large, our consumerism has caused us to look at marriage through that lens. We live in a day and an age where the rights of the individual are ultimate. So that what you want is what you must have. And ultimate freedom and happiness is found in your personal desire being fulfilled. This is a new form of idolatry. Where everything in your marriage is about you. So how does that affect the marriage? Well, marriage becomes an experience of romantic fulfillment for the individual. All biblical restraints are thrown off. When you live and think and breathe that marriage is this way. And that's why it makes sense for me to talk about the marriage ceremony and the seriousness and sanctity of it and moving into marriage because there are restraints. Not to make you unhappy, but to make you both happy. It's a win-win when you follow God. Self is at the heart of marriage through this lens of consumerism. It sees the individual and its needs as supreme. This way of thinking in marriage is catastrophic to a marriage because how can both of you believe and feel that you are supreme? <laughs> when someone is supreme, that means someone is not. It means when you're supreme, your spouse is not. When your spouse is supreme, you are not. Marriage doesn't work that way. The anthem of marriage when self is at the center is this. You adjust to me. I'm not going to adjust to you. You will adjust to me. I know we're in a day and age that this is very true. Annette and I sat down with a young couple years ago, a couple years ago. And we were talking about their, the, the purity of their, their sex life. And they were not married and they had been engaging in sex. And we sat down and talked to them about that. Can I tell you what happened? They were more offended by our correction than they were by the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. Wow. Never experienced that before in my life. That's the thermometer, the temperature of where we are today. Listen, when we live a self-centered life, that means there is no room for duty, for service, for promise, or for covenant. We just simply say, I fell out of love. As though you have nothing to do with it. And I'm going to finish with this. The subject of marriage, the identity 
really go hand in hand because most of our identity in marriage is either encouraged or discouraged. Would you agree with me on that? It's a place that that happens. Our marriage can be encouraged in, by the Imago Dei or the Imago Dei in marriage and, or it can be discouraged. The Imago Dei in me can be discouraged. Now, this message was probably one of the more difficult ones for me to put together. And I think it's because of phenomenon that often takes place before I preach on a subject like marriage, on parenting, on healthy relationships. And that's that there is a struggle, a personal struggle in the very thing or subject that I'm going to preach on. My son gave me permission to tell you this. He was 16 years old. He was experimenting with marijuana. I was out looking for him because I couldn't find him. I saw him drive by me in my car. He drove by me. And I called him. I said, hey, where are you going, man? He goes, oh, I'm at my buddy's house. I said, you liar. I said, you just passed me. And he goes, oh. I said, I'll meet you at home. <laughs> so we got home. And I go, dude, you've been smoking dope. No, I haven't smoked any dope. I, don't, I haven't smoked any dope. I said, you're smoking dope. Man, I can smell dope. He goes, no, I haven't. I said, let's go for a ride. That's what we do. That's what I did with him. We go for a ride. Because when you close those doors, they can't get out. <laughs> Click. The locks go down. They're going, oh, crap. It's one in the morning. My son says, where are we going? I said, we're going to the ER. He goes, why are, why are we going to the ER? I said, because you're going to pee in a cup, dude. That's what you're going to do. I'm taking you to the ER so you can pee in a cup. I haven't smoked any dope. I said, that's fine. You don't have to yell at me or argue with me. Your, your pee will tell the truth. So I walked in with him. He's sitting there. I said, last chance. You want to tell me? I haven't smoked any dope. I said, good. Walked up to the lady. I said, can he pee in a cup? She goes, he sure can, sir. Like, she's really happy about this. I said, then pull it out. Whatever we got to do here. She goes, okay. I went back. The moment I sat down, he goes, okay, are you happy? I smoked dope. I said, we'll see you. She goes, we'll see you. And we walked out. <laughs> That's all I wanted. You know the hard part of all that? That morning, which it was morning, I had to come to you and talk to you about how to raise kids. Whoa. You know how high I felt? I'm talking about marriage. Annette and I have struggled the last month. We've been trying to figure things out because we got a, we got a, a schedule. We're taking care of parents. We're taking care of kids. We're trying to get on the same page, and we're trying to get each other, look each other in the eyes, and you're going, oh, my gosh, the pastor, he struggles with that stuff. Yeah, it's relationship. It's what everyone does. We're human. We've worked through stuff. That's what we do. We're committed, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we have a covenant with each other. You know, she is so dang stubborn sometimes. <laughs> but we have a covenant, don't we? It's the covenant that gets us through. It's not the feeling. It's the covenant. Jesus, help us. We need your help today. We ask for your blessing and your truth in Jesus' name. Annette, come on up here. We're going to close in prayer here. I mean, that was a little close, but not real, not, not too much. Um, we want to have you stand, and we're going to pray over our marriages and our family. I'm going to ask Annette to do, to do that for you. Uh, thank you, Father.
Thank you, Lord. Father, you are a safe, <laughs> safe God. Mm -hmm. We can come to you, Lord Jesus. You understand, you see, you care, and you help. Thank you, Father. Jesus, I pray over these couples, these families, Lord Jesus. Father, you are faithful, and you are merciful, mm -hmm. and you are kind, and you are able. So thank you, Father. We give this, we give this word to you this covenant marriage lord strengthen us because we need your strength in those areas that are cracked or fractured or broken in any way father that we would humble ourselves first to you in order to be able to be humble to one another so father we just ask for your help we know you're there holy spirit come we can't do it without you in your name amen thank you for listening Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.